Welcome to Resilience in You with Beth Page. It's thought that challenges and uncertainty make us the people we are today. Where success comes in is how resilient we are in the face of adversity. Being resilient means taking a break, creating a sense of calm in our storm. You start today. Here's your host, Beth Page. Hello, fabulous humans. Welcome to Resilience in You. I'm Beth Page. And I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine McEwen today. I'm calling in from the traditional territories of the Halat, Penelicate, and Stuminas First Nations. I'm delighted to be joining you for this show. Resilience and you. It's Monday. Here's a great day to begin to focus on your resilience. My guest today is Catherine McEwen. She's a global lead for working with resilience, an organizational psychologist, an executive coach, and someone who has transformed her lifetime passion for resilience into a passion for bringing resilience across the globe. I'm delighted to have Catherine here as my guest today. Welcome, Catherine. Oh, good morning, Beth. (laughs) What would you like our listeners to know about Catherine McEwen? Well, um, firstly, it's just so fantastic to be able to connect from Australia um, to you, Beth, in Vancouver Island. And um, um, I particularly um, love the way um, the work that I do is being able to have a global audience, um, particularly last year. So so I really think of myself as sort of a, an enabler of resilience in the workplace. So my passion has been to cultivate this amazing community, which of course includes you, Beth, um, to bring sort of um, toolkits um, and ideas um, to just try to create workplaces as areas and environments where we can actually thrive because we all know it's quite tough at work, particularly at the moment. Um, so I, so I, think, I, I think that's where I am now. It's very much an enabler and a connector to do some great work uh, in the world um, in the area of work. Wonderful. Thank you so much for um, sharing a little bit of a glimpse into the passion that you hold for this work. And as we uh, open this conversation of resilience, uh, I have been most curious in accessing uh, the stories of people's own journeys of resilience uh, as, as windows to bring our listeners into the experiences that inform who we are and how we show up in the world. And so... Um, could I invite you to share a little bit of, of, uh, of, of the story of where resilience really begins for you? Absolutely. Um, so, yes, we can't actually um, build our resilience at all, can we, unless we've actually had some setbacks and challenges. So you're quite right that those stories actually bring to life what it looks like to build our resilience. And, um, I grew up in, in Wales, in Great Britain, in one of those council houses that you might have seen on the movies, you know, the upstairs and the downstairs where they all look the same. And um, it was um, a life, I guess, where we didn't have very much, but it didn't matter because everyone lived from payday to payday. But there was a really great community. Um, I mean, we, there was no such thing as childcare. Our family, all our extended family were there. 
all the neighbours knew each other. We played in the streets till late at night. So it was a very sort of secure, but quite um, narrow in some ways, um, you know, experience of the world because we really didn't go very much beyond our backyard. And then one day when I was 16, my father announced we were all going to Australia as the land of opportunity, no consultation. So there's um, mum and dad and, and my two younger sisters and brother. And basically we packed up one day, we were allowed a suitcase and one box, which followed three months later to take our lives to Australia. So my very first trip on a plane was to Australia on a Qantas jumbo jet. And it's actually only my third time ever to London. Um, And it was to Heathrow to basically leave everything I knew. So my friends, my my boyfriend, you know, the family, uh, and we arrived in Australia. And unfortunately, right from the beginning, things just didn't go to plan. And it created a lot of conflict um, with my mother and father, between my mother and my father. My sister kept leaving home and getting into trouble. I got seriously sick with hepatitis and sort of sort of like all these things sort of went wrong. And then one evening I was in the middle of a, um, I got caught up in the middle of an argument with mum and dad and dad said, well, leave then. So I did. So I left. I had no income. I had nowhere to go. And um, I went to stay um, temporarily with a friend. And then about not long after, maybe a month later, um, mum and dad announced they were going back to Wales. And I'm thinking, have I missed something here? You know, we've come to the land of opportunity and you're sort of saying, hang on, well, no, this isn't what we wanted and we're going back. Um, And so, of course, my brothers and sisters had no choice, um, but I just decided to stay. So um, I think the learning and how that relates to resilience really is that it was my first real experience of change and taking a risk because it really hadn't been anything I'd had to do. So for me, I took the risk. I took the risk to stay with, you know, no family, no money. I was still at school. And I guess that was what my purpose was at that stage was my schooling had been severely disrupted. It was going to be disrupted again. It was really important for me to be an architect right from a very young age. And that was, that was my my plan. So I think, I think since then, um, change has not been an issue for me mm-hmm. because it was such a, a major change. And uh, yeah, and the journey then went on from there. So um, certainly, um, in in a lot of ways, a very privileged childhood, even though materially it wasn't. Um, you know, we certainly didn't have very much, as I said, but very privileged in terms of that security, which I think as we know, has, can have a huge impact on people's resilience um, in terms of the childhood they've had. Yeah, so that's sort of the first example. I mean, we, you know, like everyone, I've got lots, but that's probably the, the one that's really critical um, in the journey of what does it look like to be a resilient human being. Mm-hmm. Catherine, it... Um sounds a little bit like that was uh, a life-defining moment for you. Um, When you look back on that time, what does your younger self remember about the decision to prioritize education, 
to 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 stay in Australia where you still live today. Uh, what do you remember about that time, and and what went into making that decision that is serving you so well in your in today? I think it was that we create our own destiny, you know. So my father, um, you know, even though it was a pretty big shock, made a very risky decision. And that was the moment where I had to choose whether or not I took the opportunity of that or whether we went back to what was. And, And the other part of the story there is, Of course, they only went back to Wales for a short time before they realised why they wanted to leave in the first place, so they did actually return. So I was sort of validated in that, but not that that's the the, the key um, issue here. It's really that we, we map our destination, but importantly, we have to have a direction and a goal and something that we're hungry for. And I was hungry for education and... I think looking back, education was the avenue to get me where I wanted to be. And, um, yeah, so, so I think that was what defined that. And I think the only way that that was enabled was through developing new connection and a new community. So I'd left a very solid community, but I recognised that as a young teenage girl, essentially, with... Um, no money and nowhere to live, that I had to develop relationships um, that, you know, that I was giving to receive. Mm -hmm. And I'm loving this piece about um, uh, carving out your own destiny as something that you learned as a teenager uh, while uh, realizing just how important that education piece was going to be to you then and in your future. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so fast forward, you're from a young age going to be an architect. Uh, the world uh, has you arrive in Australia. Um, you're now an organizational psychologist and, and, and resilience uh, leader. Uh, what happened? What transformed from there? I think there's an element, a bit of Wales still there because um, growing up in, you know, working class life, you have a very strong sense of social justice and equity. And so um, architecture sort of got um, sidelined because I quickly found that I couldn't visualize in 3D and I didn't realize that was spatial reasoning was a key aspect of being a good architect. And so I was doing some electives in psychology. And um, so I decided organizational psychology was where I wanted to be. And so how the social justice pieces come together with organizational psychology is I've had these amazing jobs that have enabled me to see all sorts of work, you know, from chicken factories and abattoirs and volunteers and large mining companies. And I became quite fascinated about how much time we spend in work and how much of our lives can be pretty miserable. And so the 
social justice piece is really about we need to make sure that workplaces are a great place for everyone. And how resilience has emerged from that is that we were, of course, when I first became interested in this area, which is about 11 years ago now, we were seeing that jobs were getting tougher. You know, I mean, you know, my, you know, if we think back to Wales again, I mean, mining was, was coal mining, you know, was pretty tough gig, but we've got different types of challenges. You know, we were already seeing lots of change and turbulence happening. We were definitely seeing people expected to do a lot more, you know, that more with less aspect. We were seeing leadership that despite 80, 100 years of research, which still is on the nose. <laughs> um, and so I've been really um, quite focused on what do workplaces look like that allow people to thrive. And so mm -hmm. that social justice and equity um, has come together with my organizational psychology piece to draw me really to what does resilience look like um, and how how can I serve people in the work in work? So how can I serve anyone in a job to help make their working day a better day? Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is that the shift that happened was from uh, building resilient buildings to building resilient humans. Yes, and I don't think any of my buildings would have been resilient, quite frankly. I think they probably would have had extremely shaky foundations. And it's another really good example, I guess, for me that we can still have a goal, but um, it's about opportunity and exploration that redefines that goal. So, you know, my goal was always, you know, I, I wanted to have an education, but once again, we might have seen it as a setback to say, oh, my goodness, you know, that would be my ambition and that's not really where I need to be. Resilience is also that adaptability of shifting and um, the awful word they're using all the time at the moment, pivoting of, okay, that's not working, what next? Where is it, you know, where am I going to best add value here? Where am I going to, you know, the old strength thing? Where am I going to capitalize on who I am in terms of my values and strengths? Wonderful. I am looking forward to continuing the conversation with you as uh, we talk about uh, leadership and resilience and pick up the story of, uh, of uh, cultivating organizations where people can thrive and it's for all. This moment, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Dreamcatcher Consulting, Beth Page helps her clients assess and build resilience initiatives that support and strengthen resilience. Visit dreamcatcher-consulting.com for more information about the resilience at work assessment for teams, leaders, and individuals in a company environment. Beth is an accredited Resilience at Work consultant in North America who works with clients from all over the world. Find your resilience. Reach out to Beth now at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Check out and order the second edition of Change Happens. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Resilience in You with Beth Page. We invite you to send questions or comments about the show via email to beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. That's beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Now back to Resilience in You. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here with Catherine McEwen, the global lead for Resilience at Work, and we are shifting our conversation ever so slightly uh, to focus in on uh, a specific um, unfolding. We've hit the one-year anniversary of the announcement of COVID-19. The world has been navigating this global pandemic. There have been so many impacts that have been experienced by people. And what have you noticed in the resilience work with the leaders that you connect with? Yes, there's definitely been an awful lot happening and um, I think it would be quite easy for me to talk to you about trauma and difficulties, but I want to focus really on what I see as the positive opportunities that have happened, I think, um, last year and, and continuing to happen. So, so it's been a time of transition on so many levels that has, I think, had a lot of people um, in a leadership role re-examine what's important to them. And um, we're seeing, of course, um, right across the board in organisations, people saying, well, actually, I don't want to work this way anymore. I don't want to commute to London, to, to New York and spend hours on the train. I, I, you know, so we've got a lot of transitionings to the tree change and sea change as we describe in Australia. We've got people taking early retirement. We've got people transitioning careers. And so I think there's a whole range of transitioning happening, but it's why that's happening that's the really interesting thing in terms of leadership is because people are thinking more about what do I stand for, what's important in my life, and, and a bit more, I suppose, like I was talking about carving your own destiny, what does this look like? So if we're to think about um, values that are emerging as really important in the leadership area, we are seeing some wonderful um, emergence that, you know, we've wanted for a long time but haven't quite been there but are now certainly more valued and more understood. And, of course, central to, to them is this care and compassion. So um, it's been very, very difficult last year to ignore people's lives. And so we've got that whole sense of, having to bring your whole life to work. So there's been no avoiding, you know, what's been happening in the background on the Zooms. You know, we've got babies, dogs, cats, you know, homeschooling, whatever it might look like. So when you interact with a leader at the moment, 
and it is virtually for most people still, you're seeing them in their, um, you know, not quite their pyjamas, but certainly their tracksuits, you're hearing the kids in the background, sometimes the kids get introduced. And so there's that whole humanising of leaders. Mm-hmm. And what that's enabled, I think, to happen is for the care and compassion then to be lent to the people who are in that organisation. So a leader who hasn't stepped up to care and compassion largely is one that has no fellowship now because that's really quite critical. And one of the areas that's become a real challenge, I think, for leaders is how they hold the care and compassion while still create accountability for delivery because a lot of organisations are in crisis, you know, for our own careers and our career resilience organisations need to thrive. So there's a care and compassion piece of, of the values, but the other piece that sits alongside that, which I'm really loving, is we're moving away from this stereotypical what we would call probably the heroic leader, the one who has the answers, the one who leads us to wherever we think that might be, uh, the one we have faith in to make the decisions. And even before last year, I mean, what we were seeing was the complexity and the interconnectedness was meaning that we were needing to move far more to this collective leadership. You know, we need a team to lead. We don't need one person to take us there. And so if we translate that back into human qualities as a leader, one of the beautiful things has been the permission, if you like, for vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to have all the answers. I can say I don't, and that's now okay. Mm-hmm. And the humility, of course, that comes with vulnerability. So, you know, we don't have to have these leaders who know all. <laughs> um, and so I, I love, I mean, I've always loved humility, and I, you know, I used to call it the new black in leadership. But I think we've now got a bit of permission for that. And let's mm-hmm. see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And this um, humanizing of leadership, uh, is there a, a, an example of uh, uh, an en- engagement or uh, an ongoing dialogue you've had uh, where you've really seen that humanizing of leadership um, breathed life into amidst uh, these uncertain COVID times? Yeah, so so um, so I've got a, um, a leader in mind who sort of ticks the boxes of what I'm saying, and and probably tick the boxes a little bit already. But it, it but but it's it's a really good example of even if we think we're there, we can still grow. And so this is a person where the business was severely disrupted, and such that you know, large numbers of people were, were being laid off. There was the workload of those who was remaining was, was really, um, really high and working from home with a family and so the whole homeschooling. And um, checking in with this leader, um, it was really interesting how he was reevaluating his 
role as a father or a partner, a, a leader, um, a colleague, a, uh, on every level, you know, how do I serve at the moment? You know, what do I need to step up to in each part of my tapestry of who I am? And, you know, and, and you know, we might say that, that last year was a time where we had that opportunity to reflect in that space, but this person didn't have space. Really, the space was even more crammed, which made it even better, you know, even more, um, you know, we'd need to acknowledge even more that, that in that lack of space, the capacity to refocus and be sure about, you know, who you need to be, you know, who do I need to step up to be right now? And then if we translate that into um, the care and compassion and the values, doing a lot more of the creating space for the team to check in where they are and that caring and create a caring community, but also with that person's leaders above who are equally under enormous pressure, you know, reaching out and connecting and being there for them. So in the chaos and the workload, making that space and, ha- and talking about who, what are my values and how do I make sure I am true to these and checking in with people around that. So a lovely combination of vulnerability, care, compassion, checking up whole of self and all of those identities, role modeling that, which we know is so crucial, but then fostering that in the environment, which, you know, you know, he was in that chaos, but the teams were in that chaos as well. A lot of people doing very different roles, for example. Um, so, yeah, so a, a beautiful um, snapshot of what can be. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm hearing is just a leadership, that, a leader that in their leadership role was paying attention to their whole selves and in role modeling that wholeness of their own experience, also giving their teams permission to do the same. Definitely, Beth. And, and I think that giving permission is a really interesting piece because in, 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 in our work where we're looking at what creates resilience, there's been an overemphasis on what we have to do for ourselves, you know. So, you know, in the example that I gave of, you know, myself, uh, you know, in my early life, you know, it was up to me to create that destination. It was up to me to find the connections. And of course we do, we do, you know, we have to turn up, we have to show up at work, you know, looking after our piece of the equation. But the piece that seems to be so often missing is creating that space and that collective understanding of what resilience looks like together. And the leadership piece of that is showing up and role modeling the personal piece but creating that space, as this person did, for those conversations to be had. You know, what are the values we want to step up to at the moment? What does our community look like? How do we reach out rather than focus in? What's our purpose right now? Because it's been redefined a little bit. How are we going to look after each other? What are some of the boundaries that we're going to put in place around what it looks like to have self-care but still get the job done, you know. So um, I don't see enough still of um, 
conversations of the journey of resilience that we have to make together because one of my mantras is resilience is a journey, not a destination. It's a state that we're constantly evolving. And so the only way that really truly happens is through continuing to have conversations that are actually about our challenges now, our positioning next and our adaptability. So that combination of being on top of the pressure, which we tend to focus a lot on, we focus a lot on our self-care and burnout, but it's also about how do we, how do we create this pathway forward together? Mm-hmm. And that links into the heroic leadership as well because it's actually... I can't do this alone. We're doing this together as a team. Mm-hmm. And what I heard in that was the, the power of both and of self-care and getting the job done. Yes. And in the leaders that, are, that you've seen that are, that are able to hold both, what are you noticing? I'm noticing that they are really clear and transparent on the work activity and tracking where people are at and creating that opportunity and space, whether it's together or individually, around how that's, you know, what's happening around that. Um, So I think transparency and being real about the job, you know, I think we can be really optimistic and say, or positive, you know, we're going to get this done, don't worry. But at the moment, leaders, you know, they need to lead hope. So I always talk about that being optimism with a plan. So mm. if we're talking about a lot of work on the, on the go, the plan has to be how they continue to check in on that. But simultaneously what they're doing, so we've got the work accountability that's really transparent and there's conversations on how we're doing that and they're they're everyone together part of that. So, you know, everyone's feeling they've got to, you know, lift to what they need to do. But then at the same time, there's a lot more of how are you going? How's, you know, how's the homeschooling? Is there anything I can do to um, create some flexibility for you? So this whole flexibility, of course, um, has really come into play. Um, and I think we can get too focused on flexibility as being work hours. But I like to think of flexibility more as how do I work with you to enable you to live your life? <laughs> um, and if that means for some people that they're working, you know, at midnight because that's the quiet time in the house and that suits them, then I care about your life. I'm willing to accommodate that, but also making sure that the accountability to the team is covered off in some way. So it's flexibility together rather than flexibility for its own sake in terms of what suits me. So that's a very long answer, Beth, but but I think it is transparency around the job and keeping that really up front of mind because we are at work and this Mm -hmm. is a job. And your career resilience relies on our organizational resilience, but having the care as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and a little piece, I think, of uh, all of this has been that there is a peek behind the curtain, much like there was in The Wizard yes. of Oz. And <laughs> we're seeing the home life, the whole life, and what's unfolding. And 
in some strange way, even though we're pixelated, we are getting to know more of people's whole lives. And so we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about the work of resilience for our whole lives. We'll be right back with Catherine McEwen. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Dreamcatcher Consulting, Beth Page helps her clients assess and build resilience initiatives that support and strengthen resilience. Visit dreamcatcher-consulting.com for more information about the Resilience at Work assessment for teams, leaders, and individuals in a company environment. Beth is an accredited Resilience at Work consultant in North America who works with clients from all over the world. Find your resilience. Reach out to Beth now at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Check out and order the second edition of Change Happens. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Resilience in You with Beth Page. We invite you to send questions or comments about the show via email to beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. That's beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Now back to Resilience in You. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Catherine McEwen, uh, who by the virtue of technology is in Australia while I'm in British Columbia, Canada. So fortunate to be able to have this conversation with you, Catherine. When we went to break, we were talking about leadership, transparency, the peek behind the curtain, uh, and the whole lives that uh, both leaders and their teams have had access to amidst uh, this pandemic. Uh, Is there a particular uh, reflection or insight you want to share about what you're seeing as it relates to leadership and their whole lives? Yeah, so I think one theme that I see emerging is that for us to show up as a resilient worker leader, um, we need to make sure that our families have the support that they actually need. So it's, it reminds me a little bit of when um, you work with leaders who, are, who move countries and mm-hmm. a big part of their success when they move is not just what they do in their role, but how they make sure their family are linked into the supports that they need and that they still have an identity and purpose and so on. And so it's sort of like a version of that in that because what's happening with your family is an enabler or disabler for you to turn up. I think we're having to think a little bit more around how do we make sure that the people in our lives, and this this is not necessarily the people in your household, um, the people in your lives have the support they need to enable you to do what you want to. And a really good example of that, of course, is 
with our aged family members. Yeah. So um, I, like many people, I haven't seen my mother for about a year because she lives in West Australia, which for those not familiar with Australia, it's three and a quarter hours flight before the one hour drive to where she lives south of Perth. And so, um, you know, so, so when I talk about extended, so what is it, what support does that part of the family, in this case, my mother need to enable me to make sure I can show up and do what I want. So I, I think that whole essence of what creates resilience for me as an employee, as a leader, incorporates making sure our family also have access to what they need. Yeah. And, and that capacity for, for making requests of ourselves and those around us and ensuring that we're also asking people what they need in order um, to, to, to be able to focus on, um, on the work at hand. And if you were going to provide some specific guidance to a leader who's listening, who has been navigating this pandemic head down uh, and focusing on uh, getting the work done uh, as they may have before the pandemic, uh, what would be the two or three pieces of guidance you would specifically offer based on what you've observed in the last year? Yes, okay. So um, you fundamentally have to have some routine outlet that enables you to reset and recover. And, and I think there are many versions of that during a working day, and they are more major ones outside of the working day. So um, it could be, um, so for example, I swim. So I think one of my get into the flow and the rhythm and forgetting about everything else is swimming. And so what does it look like? What's that activity where you get into the flow and, you, and you're really able to, to forget about things. So there's the reset and recovery piece. The other piece, of course, is who do you need to reach out to support you? So, so who are the people? And I think those people have shifted during the virtual world and the connectedness. So, so who you might have had as your team you might have shifted. So who are the people that you need to nurture relationships with and have that connection with? And, of course, to ask for help, we have to reach out and offer help. So, so really investing in, in that. And I think the other one is very much around being really clear, as we've already spoken about, being really clear on what your values are and making sure that you're being really overt about that, talking about them, stepping up to them and, um, and the purpose and creating the space, as I've spoken about, creating space for those conversations about all of those things with your team. So doing that for yourself, but creating an environment where that's fostered for everyone else. Because it's really easy for us to say, right, we've got our self-care, we've got our connections and it's up to our team to do that for themselves. But part of leadership is to make sure that that is happening. Yeah. And, and, and checking in uh, on that assumption to ensure that it actually is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
And I heard in the values that you were talking about, I heard care. Uh, I heard compassion. Are there additional values that have been particularly important and helpful during this time period for leaders? Yes, transparency. <clears throat> so um, I think that um, it was very easy, particularly early in the pace, to um, believe that you needed to be optimistic and you needed to talk things up. And it was a period where people needed to know the truth. They didn't want the spin. They wanted the reality, the reality. And so it, bec it became a real challenge again in the same way that support and accountability was a challenge. I think it became a real um, challenge to, to walk that line of positivity and realism. Mm. So telling the truth about what, what it was, about gathering that collective energy about what it is we can do together to best manage that. So that transparency, and we might also call that integrity because it's also about um, it's walking the talk, isn't it, as well? And so transparency and integrity are pretty much gone together there, I think, as well. So definitely I would, I would say that would be one as well. Yeah. And the, the only other one that's occurring to me uh, as you um, spoke earlier about the importance of vulnerability is sometimes oh, yes. it takes a little courage to be vulnerable. It takes a lot of courage and um, particularly if you've been someone who's made the decisions and, um, and, and, if, and particularly if you're in an environment where everyone's had to be competent and um, there are lots of work environments where you don't let a chink in your armor be seen because, you know, someone's going to go for the jugular. So um, I think it's been easier in some environments than others. And again, this is where the leadership needs to lead because if there's no sense of vulnerability at the top, you're simply not going to get people willing to admit mistakes, say they're not coping. And as we all know, what happens when there's a culture of invulnerability is it just comes out in burnout and mental illness and it just simply goes underground. So this aspect of vulnerability is going to be really interesting. And I think the other piece ahead for leaders is we're going to have now teams with trauma. So previously we spoke a lot about how to help someone, you know, one, maybe one person in your team with mental illness and trauma we now have whole teams who've had a, a hell of a time. And so, again, understanding how you're going to be able to navigate that getting the job done with the, um, the care for where you're at is, is going to be a really interesting journey that we've yet to see, I think. Mm -hmm. If, uh, you know, and, and Brene Brown in her book, uh, Dare to Lead, talks about uh, writing uh, permission slips. Yes. And I'm curious what permission slips we could give leaders that uh, would enable them to step into this really critical and transformative period. I think it's very much around reaching out and saying, what can I do? This is hard. It's actually acknowledging how difficult it is because I think We've tended to, in the past, accept that that's what they get paid for. 
they're the leader, you know. Um, they have an expression in Australia, suck it up, princess. You know, there's a little bit of a, you know, you get paid to make this decision. That's your job versus a actually, you know, their success is my success. And, um, yeah, and asking those questions in those meetings, you know, checking in on them. And I don't know whether there's as much checking in on leaders. And I did see leaders spending an enormous amount of energy um, reaching out to the people they led, but was that reciprocated? And that example I gave of the leader, as I mentioned, that's what he was doing. He was actually reaching up to his a leader uh, of the organisation, knowing that person's whole of life yeah. um, and being there. So I think that's a that's a really good permission slip. And of course that needs to be the whole team, not just one or two people. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And uh my curious uh self uh is wondering what are some of the strategies that are supporting you in your resilience as you um resource yourself for uh, this work uh, at this really critical time? So you've me- I've mentioned I swim. I think that's my rhythm piece. But I, the other thing that I do is um, a bit of an Australian thing really is I go to the beach and I walk and there's something restorative about the sea. I mean, I can remember in those days when my family had just left and I was all alone that I used to sit on the, I lived actually near the beach and I used to sit on the beach and just look across the waters and think about, you know, you know, what was across, across the waters. So there's something really restorative and I absolutely love it when it's windy and raining because I sing Nat King Cole songs and um, my father and mother love Nat King Cole and Ella Fitzgerald. So I know all the songs and I know all the words, but I'm probably the only Welsh person in the world who can't sing because Wales, the Welsh sing whether they're drunk, happy, sad, you know, they, they sing. And um, so I love doing that. And the other thing, if I really want to lift my soul is um, I play um, Welsh male voice choirs. Um, singing hymns in Welsh really loud. And I'm not very good at singing along to the Welsh version of it, but there's, again, it's something uplifting. And I think, you know, it goes to that there's always something in our roots. There's always something that is restorative, you know, deep inside our unconscious. And I think that's that's my piece. And I always cry when I hear, um, you know, um, male voice choirs, not necessarily male, but they tend to be more male voice choirs in Wales. Um, singing in, in Welsh, even the national anthem at the rugby. So, um, yeah, so there's something there. So, so they're the things I do. Uh, and also um, I, I do a lot of connecting, a lot of connecting with people I love who uplift me. And that's, you know, that's where the community's been really great. Beth, in terms of our global community who are delivering our resilience work, is so uplifting to talk to amazing people who are doing um, great work in the world as well. Thank you for that. And uh, if, if you were going to take just a couple of minutes, if people wanted to continue the conversation with you and get in touch, uh, knowing that you're in Australia, um, how might that best be accomplished? So um, we've set up this um, website called resilience.tv, which is a sort of a 
a website which is about our amazing um, community. It has blogs, it has videos and things. It had stuff about our our um, our toolkit on that, and so it's um, a great starting point really to get a bit of a flavour of what we're trying to bring to the world of work. Um, so I think that's the best place to start, mm-hmm. Beth. Wonderful. I am uh, so delighted uh, uh, as we have had the opportunity to work together professionally um, to also bring the whole of you into this conversation uh, as a way um, to really uh, unfold this passion for resilience uh, that in 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 the heart and mind of a 16-year-old has, um, has resulted in this destiny, this journey, and this destination. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. I am uh, wanting to thank our listeners for also um, uh, being part of our conversation and being part of our 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 uh, call and our, our, um, our show. My invitation to the listeners is to consider what fills you up? What contributes to your resilience? Is it a walk on the beach amidst the rain, much like Catherine? Uh, is it experiencing some additional time in nature Uh, Is it listening to the sound of running water? Is it planting your bare feet firmly on the earth? And I really appreciated Catherine's invitation to connect into the ancestral knowledge and wisdom that resides within us and uh, carries us back to our ancestors whose own wisdom may well be informing some of our resilient choices these days. Consider what it's going to take to get your week off to a great, resilient start. What one wise action could you take today to support you in your resilience? The conversation doesn't have to end here. Please connect with Catherine at resilience.tv. Know that I'm available on LinkedIn and Facebook. Have a great week, everyone. We'll look forward to having you join us again. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Resilience and You. Please join your host, Beth Page, again next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, if you find that you're facing some personal stress, try to find your calm. Be resilient 